You're listening to Pass the Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 8. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pass the Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor. This is Mexican food magazine, the tastiest combo to guide you into the kitchens, markets, streets and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food historian, cook and author. To find more information about this project, please go to pasdechipotle.com. Find the show on Twitter as Chipotle Podcast. You can subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. This week, I've got an important announcement to make, and that is that this episode marks the end of Season 1 of Paz de Chipotle. I am really grateful for the response I've had from all of you. It's been encouraging to know that this show is actually serving its purpose of becoming a source of inspiration and discovery of the wonderful world that is Mexican gastronomy. Another important change is that coming August, the show will become tri-weekly, but the next season will bring more interviews and delicious stories for you to enjoy. In the meantime, you can enjoy the entire library, which is permanently available for you to revisit. All right, so moving on. This week's episode really has it all. From a spicy warrior soup, uh, wait, what? Oh yeah, you heard right. A soup containing actual warriors in it, also known as pozole. Next, to the weird, crazy and unusual superstitions in Mexican traditional home cooking. And last, the funky side of traditional indigenous medicine and their magic mushrooms, trippy teas and high-flying cacti. Okay, buckle up and let's get on with the show. Following the arrival of Spanish conquistadors in the Mexican territory, came priests and friars with the intention to save the thousands of natives from eternal pagan doom. Or so they like to say. The fact is that they were part of a grand scheme by the Spanish crown to be the long arm of the law, be part of the administration and even social control. So many distinguished members of religious orders took upon themselves to document the rapidly fading indigenous cultures. With the help of noble manuscript painters called Tlaquilos, the many colonial codex that were produced captured all sorts of things, from the mundane everyday way of life to the bizarre and irresistibly gore religious rituals that soon captured the imagination of Europeans with the bloody sacrifices and the terrifying tales of bloodthirsty gods from the New World. The truth is that without minimizing the fact that it is quite extreme to have a regular practice of offering the lives of people, including children, and in some cases this practice involved the voluntary participation of virgins 
and powerful warriors who actually were prepared from the early years of military training to fight honorable battles, to defend the freedom and way of life of their kingdoms, and wished for nothing else than a glorious death on the battlefield, or even over themselves to feed the gods. Does that sound vaguely familiar? This mentality is not exactly radically different from any doctrine of our modern armed forces. Yet, there is one interesting practice that distinguishes the pre-Columbian tribes from other cultures, and that is the sacrifice of elite warriors. Crazy as it sounds, there were many planned and even managed confrontations called flowery wars or Xochiyayo, as they were called in ancient Nahuatl, where the main purpose was to capture warriors from opponent armies to be sacrificed. But how did they come up with this great idea, I hear you ask? Well, the priests from Cholula, Tenochtitlan and other nearby cities concluded that after the 12 years of droughts and famine, they took it as a sign of the gods' anger and punishment. And so, they thought that the best way to appease them was to feed them with the most valuable things they had, the hearts and blood of their best warriors. Makes sense, no? Right. Well, they embarked in these flowery wars and when opposite armies captured noble warriors, or knights, as they were also called, who were part of the mm, sort of equivalent of today's special forces, divided into regiments known as Eagle Knights, Jaguar Knights, Ocelot Knights, and so on. So, once they were captured, they knew exactly what their fate will be. After all, they had prepared for it for years, but it wasn't a whole dramatic Sweeney Todd-like scene. Well, not exactly. And so, because most of these warriors were also nobility, they were highly educated and considered even as demigods. So, during their captivity, that could last for days, weeks, months or even years, they were expected to play musical instruments, conduct religious ceremonies, read poetry, even spend some time with the noble concubines to, you know, enrich the gene pool. And then they were sacrificed. But things didn't necessarily occur in that order. Anyways, at least that's what we know from the surviving historical documents. Spanish courtesans, as we are told, were scandalized when reading the accounts from the letters and news that came from the New World, depicting these acts of barbarism but I'm almost sure that it was with more morbid curiosity than anything else that they kept wanting to know more about such rituals, including how these warriors met their grim end. So, back to the cooking instructions. Once these knights were sacrificed, skinned and quartered, the right thigh would be offered to the governor or principal priest. The left thigh was given to the opponent warrior that captured the deceased. And the rest of the body except for the heart was finally portioned and cooked in a ceremonial soup made with a special type of corn known as cacao sintle, that when cooked it bursts and looks just like a huge fleshy popcorn. 
Once the whole thing was slow cooked and I assumed seasoned, I mean, there aren't any descriptions about the actual flavor of this dish, but the whole city was invited to join and take part and eat some of the soup. Through this act, in which they literally ate the flesh of a revered and holy warrior, they were effectively having a spiritual and literal communion and sanctify their bodies by doing so. Does that sound familiar? Well, this is the true origin of one of the most loved and famous Mexican soups, pozole. To this day, pozole is an unmissable dish for special patriotic celebrations, including Independence Day, the anniversary of the Mexican Revolution, and even Christmas. It is prepared in a white, red, or green broth. But you might be disappointed to hear that, since warrior flesh is rather scarce these days, pork and chicken are used instead to serve this delicious soup. It is seasoned with garlic, pepper and bay leaves and served with fried crisp taquitos or tostadas, plenty of avocado, radishes, lettuce, oregano, chili powder and a good squeeze of lime. Mmm! Hungry anyone? Now, if you excuse me, I'm... Mmm! Hurry, I'm gonna talk in. Mmm! Mmm! We'll be back after the break. Under the green and cool canopy of the tropical trees in the remote rainforest hills of southeast Mexico grows the cocoa tree, perhaps the only tree that was ever destined to take the world by storm. Of all the products that were part of the Colombian exchange, cocoa's popularity is undiminished and it is more popular today and accessible than it ever was in the 16th century when it made its long trip from the Americas to Europe. The summer issue of Sabor is out now and has a wonderful selection of delicious articles all about cocoa, one of Mexico's greatest gifts to the world, its history and heritage recipes for you to enjoy. You can purchase your digital copy now and enjoy it on all your devices. Go to pazdechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined. Countries with rich culinary traditions have in every home cook a committed guardian of their every seasoning trick imaginable. The unwritten steps to make soups fit six instead of four and the wisdom that older generations have been passed on, accumulated and built upon. Then they pick who will be next in line to guard the family's favorite recipes, cooking techniques and secrets to keep that knowledge alive and thriving. 
Mexico's traditional home cooking is, of course, no exception to these kind of traditions. So I put together a few examples of beliefs that many people swear will have an immediate and clear effect if you follow or break the rules when cooking. Here we go. It is always best to avoid crying over food when preparing it. Not only this is disgusting and sad, but apparently this will pass on your grief to the poor people that will eat your cooked tears. Don't take my word for it, but please don't try this at home. Next, don't make a salsa when you are angry. These, or wife say, will result in a ridiculously hot salsa that no one will be able to eat. Don't allow anyone but yourself to touch the masa when you are making tamales. Also, don't let them steer your moles, nor touch your cake tins before baking. This might have a devastating effect and the food will be totally ruined. Gooey and raw tamales, sloppy mole and flat cakes. You don't want that. Apparently, people with a particular ill temper or a pathetic character will never be able to whisk egg whites to stiff perfection. The alleged obvious nature of their heavy hands is definite proof of their annoying temperament, and somehow and apparently egg whites know this. Now the next one sounds absolutely and utterly crazy, but if you don't believe me, fine, just ask any Mexican what happens when you eat avocado after you had a big fight or are terribly angry. I promise you, people swear it is so bad it can even kill you. And there's always that family member who will start naming people who famously ignored this universal law and consequentially died in horrible pain. But what about cooking fails? What if you burn your beans or stews? No problem. Now, remove the pot from the fire and with the base, crush a clove of garlic and rub it to cover the whole surface and wait. The claim is that garlic will magically take that disgusting burnt flavor from your food. And if it doesn't, I'm sure the garlic smell will certainly distract you from it. Now, like many people, I personally suffer from a severe case of uncontrollable crying when slicing onions, but it seems that there is a way to prevent this. You have to slice the base of an onion and put it on top of your head, and this will cancel the effect of the onion. Makes sense, right? Of course not! This will make your hair stink of taco, will ensure that no one comes near you, and the stink will probably distract you from the fact that you're still crying over onions. Now, what about reading the signs of your imminent future through your cooking? Apparently, there are many signs that indicate that you are more than ready to get married, including if your tortillas puff when you cook them, if you can froth a hot chocolate to a gloriously thick perfection, if the cork of a bottle of cider lands on you during Christmas or New Year's Eve, also if your cakes rise, if your beans are tender and soft, and if your rice puffs very nicely. Oh, well, you get the idea, it goes on and on. Pretty much, if you know how to cook, you're ready to get married according to Mexican tradition. Now, a running joke between expectant mothers is to say that if they don't satisfy a craving, 
the baby will be born looking like it. And it is all too often to hear things like, let's go out now, or the baby will have a taco face, and it will be your fault. <laughs> well, like I said, this is a very silly thing. And of course, this idea should be terrifying enough to get any woman some tacos. But what about good luck? Well, if you want to have good fortune for the next year ahead, make sure you stuff your mouth with 12 grapes 12 minutes before the new year starts. You'll have to swallow each and every one while you make a wish or else it won't count. Okay, what if you ate the 12 grapes and made a wish and swallowed them all and you still have bad luck? What if someone gives you the evil eye? No problem, hang a bunch of fresh garlic by a window and see the bad vibes disappear along with any good smell as the whole place will be definitely vampire-free for at least a week. Well, the list pretty much goes on, but you see where this is going. The point is that traditional cuisines are half-tangible products and half-social constructs of beliefs, aspirations, preferences and aversions that are often defined by arbitrary choices and many times even by accident. For instance, for some people, it is proven of that some quirky unrelated event as a direct cause for the success or failure of a recipe. It then becomes accepted and unquestioned. And that's how many traditions are born. It's funny, strange and even naive, but no doubt they are all part of the charming uniqueness of our traditional cuisines. We'll be back with the last segment of the show after this brief message. The production of Paz de Chipotle is something I greatly enjoy, and I know you do too, because I read all the comments, emails and messages you send me. This is a podcast that is free for anyone to listen and enjoy everywhere in the world. But keeping the lights on and spending hours preparing an interesting and thought-provoking show is definitely not free. It requires hours of hard work and dedication as well. To keep this exciting project alive, your support is vital. Independent creators like myself bring diversity, empowerment and opportunities to enrich our global cultural exchange, which is why the support of audiences with a passion for knowledge, creativity and entrepreneurship is essential. You can support this podcast in many ways. By purchasing Sabor, this is Mexican food magazine, rating this show so more people can find it, recommending the podcast with your friends and families, and also by making a monthly donation on this show's page on Patreon. At patreon.com forward slash chipotle podcast, you can select the type of donation you want to make. The Patreon program starts with just $1 a month, and trust me, every donation makes a big difference. Go to patreon.com forward slash Chipotle podcast and be part of this delicious story. For many ancient indigenous cultures of Mexico, Having a deliberate state of intoxication was seen as a way to reach a superior level of consciousness. 
that will enable them to communicate with the spiritual world. Strong hallucinogenic chemical compounds present in cacti like peyote have a very strong effect similar to LSD that can keep an adult in a state of intoxication for up to 12 hours. Certain wild mushrooms are well documented to be commonly used by priests, shamans and healers in pre-Columbian Mexico. But you might be surprised to hear that these traditions are still practiced to this day, especially those that aim to experience a spiritual trip. I'm really not sure about the spiritual part, but it sounds like they definitely have a good trip. Amongst the many plants that were and are still used, some wild varieties of sage and even cannabis were used to induce people into a state of lethargic trance to augment their perception of the surrounding world and channel messages or interpret signs from spirits and gods during the performance of rituals. A good case of a plant that is still used to this day is one called Toloache or Toloatzin, as the Mexica called it. It is supposed to provoke in the victim rather than patient a state of mental numbness or submission and is especially used to prepare love potions. But the history of Toloache is as dark as it is interesting. According to historians, toloatzin was used to prepare a highly effective and dangerous concentrate that priests used to enter a state of trance for special ceremonies, and it was also given to criminals who were sentenced to death just previous to their execution as a final act of mercy. Other plants with deadly properties were processed to extract the poisonous sap and use it as a weapon to poison arrows and spears. Other less toxic plants are still used for hunting purposes, and this is an ongoing practice amongst many indigenous communities. During the colonial period, shamanism and traditional herbology were prohibited and highly penalized as they were seen as sorcery and witchcraft, but these traditions not only were deeply rooted in the practices of the population, in fact, they were also part of the traditional medicine that provided health care to the indigenous population. These practices include the use of ground allspice to treat toothaches, preparing plant-based balms and infusions to heal sepsis, treat wounds and even assist in post-operation treatments. Trepanning and amputation were only some of the highly sophisticated procedures that pre-Columbian healers performed. Over the centuries, these practices went from being a well-accepted ancient costume to become part of the underground traditions of the indigenous and mestizo classes. But shamanism also slowly incorporated elements of Christianity, and in the present day, Catholic prayers and the invocation of saints are part of these rituals, in which healers can protect you against the evil eye, cast sadness away, ending bad luck, and offer spiritual protection. Cleanses of your spirit often include rubbing a turkey's egg all over your body, while the shaman prays and enters in a trance fueled by a consumption of special herbal beverages. The burning of incense, tobacco, and also cannabis is not uncommon either. But less toxic plants that are perfectly innocuous for humans are also used as aromatic cooking herbs that serve a double purpose of seasoning 
and acting, for example, as a natural dewarming. That is the case of the delicious epazote leaf. But for those who are not familiar with it, it might just look like a cannabis leaf. It is used in quesadillas, beans and soups. Another such example of these mildly toxic plants is the case of avocado. In some varieties of avocados, in the skin and in the leaves, scientists have found traces of dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is used to treat dozens of conditions, but also can cause intoxication when consumed in excess. In Mexico, a good pot of beans never lacks avocado leaves to infuse them with its fresh aftertaste and reduce, well, mm, the gassy effects of the legumes. So, as you've heard, the use of toxic plants has a really long-standing tradition in Mexico. The cultural history of rituals, the medicinal uses, and even the culinary functions are still deeply embedded amongst the indigenous communities, but also amongst the mestizo or mixed heritage population. I'm aware of the fact that these practices might seem strange and even exotic for millions of Mexicans who grew up seeing and even taking part in these practices they are seen as a very natural thing that are part of the complex, rich and old traditions of Mexico. Thank you for listening to this episode of Paz de Chipotle, a show dedicated to the exploration of Mexico's delicious gastronomic traditions. The show will return in August as a tri-weekly podcast. It will continue featuring delicious and thought-provoking topics, interviews with entrepreneurs, experts, and interesting people that have great edible stories to tell. I promise you the waiting will be worthwhile. In the meantime, you can enjoy the whole archive and revisit all your favorite episodes. Keep in touch by subscribing to the newsletter. Head now to pasdechipotle.com and sign up to receive exclusive news and special discounts. And I have one last announcement to make that I'm dying to share with you. My new ebook, Puebla's Great Food Tour, is out. My beautiful city is the undisputed gastronomic capital of Mexico's grand cuisine. With this ebook, you will eat, drink, and discover Puebla's culinary heritage and the historical events that shaped the edible treasures of a world acclaimed cuisine. Take this exciting gastronomic journey with you in all your digital devices. Have fun using the interactive foodie checklist. Navigate the city with the fully detailed maps. Follow and enjoy the wonderful edible and historical trails of Puebla. The book also contains the necessary practical information to help you navigate the menus and order like a local. One thing is for sure, after this tour, you will understand why Mexico's national cuisine is an infinite source of inspiration, knowledge and pleasure. Go to pasdechipotle.com to find out more about this ebook.
Well, that's it for this first season. Thank you again for listening to this and all the previous episodes. Remember to subscribe, rate, and share this show with your friends. Goodbye from me, my friends. Hear you soon in the second season of Passage Podcast.